your IRA actually owns the real estate and therefore it's not taxed as an individual. They have its own little tax system that they have to follow. It's completely different than the individual brackets that we all see and know. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I'm Theo Hicks here today with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing? Hey, doing great, Theo. Good to be here. So today we're going to be talking about self-directed IRAs. Now, disclaimer, I'm not a self-directed IRA expert. Travis is not a self-directed IRA expert. The whole purpose of this episode is to provide some insights that we receive from a blog post from one of our contributors. His name is Brian Boyd. He is a real estate attorney who specializes in taxes, and he wrote a very detailed blog post for us entitled How to Invest in Real Estate with a self-directed IRA. And so Travis and I wanted to hop on a show. Travis can talk about his experiences with the self-directed IRA. I can talk about my very limited understanding of the self-directed IRA, but 
at least extract some of the best advice from Ryan's blog post. So before we hop in, as always, Travis is going to introduce the topic a little bit more and why we're talking about it today. Thanks, Theo. I think that this is just a really good topic in general. It's something we haven't covered on our show. Certainly pertains to passive investors. It can pertain to active investors as well. It just kind of depends, but probably more of a passive topic. (laughs) So it's a very common strategy. A lot of investors use self-directed IRAs. I used to as well. I'll share a little bit of experience later in this episode on that. And basically, if you prefer to park your money into private real estate, and there's other things you can invest in too, private businesses or physical gold or or silver and oil and all these different things, then you should have the choice to do that. And you do have the choice to do that. So that's what we're going to cover is what is a self-directed IRA? How does that differ from maybe the IRA or the 401k that you currently have? And the other thing I thought was pretty interesting as I was doing a little bit of research here is... There's almost $20 trillion of IRA money in the United States. That's T, trillion, a little less than our national debt, I guess. So that's a tremendous amount of money, a huge pool. So yeah, rightfully so, to my point earlier, that a lot of people use this strategy. There's a lot of IRA money out there. So Mm -hmm. folks looking to do syndications, private placements, et cetera, this can fit well there also. But to Theo's point, we're not giving you any kind of financial advice. So please seek your own lawyers, attorneys, CPAs, et cetera, for this kind of stuff and financial planners. We're just going to be sharing what this stuff is and how it functions. So with that, I guess I'll just go ahead and dive in. Did you have anything else to add, Theo? That $20 trillion is interesting. You talk about how that's close to national debt. There's a solution there. Just take that money and pay that debt, right, Travis? Yeah. Yeah. That's what they should do. We're going to write a letter and propose that. (laughs) So let's just get started with what is a self-directed IRA. The important thing to distinguish here is that a self-directed IRA is independent of a brokerage firm. So a lot of folks, I'm going to use two examples because they're very widely known, Charles Schwab or Fidelity Investments. A lot of people hold 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, through brokerage houses like that. And of course, there's way more examples to give, but you get the point. These are not self-directed custodians. So I'm going to cover the differences there and how they function. But first, let's define what a custodian is. And it's basically an entity that specializes in IRA accounts. So for this purpose, we'll talk about self-directed. So they manage the transactions that are happening, the wire transfers, et cetera. They manage the paperwork that goes along with doing these types of investments, the title work that you have to do when you close on properties, et cetera, financial reporting. I forget what the tax forms are as an example, like a 1099, for example, they issue those and they upload those for you. And they're making sure at the end of the day, how I see this most important element They're making sure that you are staying compliant, that you're following the rules that have been set forth by the IRS with what you can and can't do. Theo, I'll have you dive into that in just a minute here in a little more detail. But here's the biggest difference, and it could be a shocker for some folks, but a self-directed custodian charges fees for you to have an account with them. So why do they do that? Well, because... If I open an account for free with them and I just go buy a piece of real estate and it's going to be a rental property, well, then how did they make any money? 
they don't. So they have to charge you for opening the account. Maybe they charge a percentage per year based on how much you have in your account. They have to charge you fees in order to operate their business and rightfully so. So then why is it free, quote unquote, to have a Fidelity or a Schwab IRA? It's because they are making fees in a different way. Most of the time they're trying to push their own products to their customers. So if I have my IRA with Fidelity and I call them up and say, what do I do with this money? They're probably going to persuade me to go with the ABC Fidelity Mutual Fund, which has what? Fees built into it. So that's how they're recapturing these costs. That's how they can offer these free accounts for folks. So it's not that one's free and one costs. It's just you're going to pay it one way or another, whether that's more of a slightly hidden cost versus an out-of-pocket kind of thing. So that's the difference in structure between your traditional brokerage houses and how they operate in a self-directed custodian. So a couple more things to point out. When you're investing with an IRA, this is its own entity. Kind of like if you were using a business or an LLC, if I go purchase a property, I, as in Travis Watts, I'm not on title. Okay. My IRA is on title. So it's going to say ABC trust company for the benefit of Travis Watts's Roth IRA. Just to give an example, it's kind of a long handle there, but that's how that works. So your IRA actually owns the real estate and therefore it's not taxed as an individual. They have its own little tax system that they have to follow. It's completely different than the individual brackets that we all see and know. So I mentioned you can invest in real estate, private real estate, not just publicly traded REITs, gold, silver, private businesses, on and on. So these are things that if you have an account with a Schwab or Fidelity or brokerage and you say, hey, there's this house in my neighborhood I want to go buy and rent it out, you can't do it. It's stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. You're very limited on, well, I shouldn't say it's very limited, but you're limited to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that are publicly traded. So Theo, I'll turn it over to you for just some general either pros and cons or things to look out for, things to know beforehand, I guess, and take it away. Yeah. One of the things you said in the beginning was how you've got the self-directed IRA and then it's also at the 401k. And I remember I had a buddy who bought property using his 401k or used that loan against his 401k, like $50,000, whatever. And then you use that money to buy real estate. And from my understanding, I'm pretty sure when you do that, when you get that loan, you're not really limited on what you can use it for. Whereas for this self-directed IRA, you can't use it to buy whatever you want. There's certain restrictions. They're called the qualified or disqualified persons or types of things that you can buy. So I think you mentioned this in the beginning, but you can't use your software to IRA to buy your own personal house, or you can't use your software to IRA to buy a vacation home for yourself in Florida, California, or wherever. It has to be used for purely investment purposes for yourself also. So the types of things you can buy are restricted and also who they're bought for or who they're benefiting are also restricted. So the IRS has a list of what they call disqualified persons. And this basically means that they can't have involvement in this investment. So I'm going to steal Travis's analogy that he gave me before the show, but below you, above you, and next to you. So your parents, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your siblings, your cousins, you can't buy a property for them as a gift. You can't buy a property as an investment, but your mom is living there or your dad is living there and they're paying you money. Those people are disqualified. Other things that are disqualified would be any service vendor to your IRA, as well as any entity that owns more than 50% of the property. And 
not only can you not buy it for these individuals, but you can't buy it from these individuals either. So you can't use your stuff or the IRA to buy a house from your mom or buy a house from your brother or sister. So these people are disqualified in every sense of the word. You need to use a self IRA to buy an investment property for yourself from someone who's not related to you or married to you. A couple other things that I didn't realize was the case from his blog post was that it's not as easy to obtain financing on a property that you're using a self-directed IRA to purchase as opposed to you just going out and doing it yourself or having a business that buys real estate. A lot of the times you're going to have to buy the investment all cash or you're going to have to use it to invest in a private placement like an apartment syndication. Now, it doesn't mean it's impossible to get a mortgage. And I'm pretty sure I've talked to people out there who specialize in helping you get mortgages when using your self-directed IRA, but it's a general rule of thumb. It's more difficult to obtain financing when you're using a self-directed IRA to purchase. When you are using leverage, when you are using a mortgage, there's a certain portion of the tax code that's going to apply to related to unrelated business taxable income. Not going to get into that. Talk to your CPA about that and talk to your CPA about this in general. We're just giving kind of general advice. And then something else that's interesting too when you use your software IRA, you're investing your earnings after you've already been taxed. So when you withdraw that money, it's not taxed, right, Travis? So it depends whether you're doing a Roth IRA, for example, which you're not getting any tax benefit as you put the money in. So you're earning money, paying the tax, then putting it over into a Roth. Then you're kind of compounding tax-free as time goes on. And then, yeah, to your point, hopefully withdrawing after 59 and a half tax-free withdrawals out of the account. The traditional IRA account's a little bit different. So you do get a tax deduction when you transfer money into it in that current year. But then as you pull out the money, you do pay tax on it. And it's kind of an unfavorable tax, which I'll highlight here in a minute. Perfect. So when you're using this IRA that you already pay taxes on and you pull it out tax-free at some point, then you're not going to get the same tax benefits from your real estate investment, right? So you're not going to benefit from the appreciation, interest deductions, assuming you get a mortgage on it the property tax deduction, any other operating expenses, maintenance deductions, things like that. Because the self-funded IRA is not taxed like a regular individual person is. There's a tax code specifically for the self-directed IRAs. And so understanding that and making sure that you're not taking that into account when you're making the decision of whether or not to use your self-directed IRA to invest. Oh, I want to use that because I can get double tax benefits. That's not necessarily exactly how it works. Yeah, exactly. And again, without being tax advisors and not giving any advice. But the fact is, to your point, Theo, many of us invest in real estate for the tax benefits. Well, if you put it inside of an IRA, you're losing that ability because it just doesn't matter what's happening inside the IRA as far as you're investing. What matters is when you pull money out of the IRA, when you do that, how much you do that. And it's taxed at ordinary levels. So you can pay much higher taxes realistically by doing this kind of, so it might be an unfavorable situation for you. But again, that's why everybody is different. That's why it's so hard to say, this is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. It's just, it's not black and white. So it really takes some strategy planning with your CPA, et cetera. And that's what you should do. So to that point, I just want to share something real quick before I move to my section. You mentioned the up, down, left, and right, and the disqualified persons. The bottom line is you could probably tell how you could manipulate the system, right? And that's why you can't do these things. 
You can't buy your grandma's $100,000 house for 300K. You can't move a parent in and have them pay you 50,000 a month in rent when the market rents two grand. There's things that could be manipulated. That's why you have to shy away from the disqualified persons. And the bottom line is there's so many different rules. That's why you use a qualified self-directed custodian to help you navigate compliance. And it's quite frankly, very difficult if you're doing individual purchasing of property using a self-directed, like a single family home, because you as the individual behind the scenes shouldn't have any active involvement with that. You should be hiring third-party contractors, third-party managers, third-party everything. You should never be going in there and saying, hey, I'm going to reach in my pocket and upgrade this unit here with 100K in cash and then sell it for a higher price. You can't do this stuff. It's illegal. So that's why you want to take the proper measures to that. So I want to share a couple of things. I used to have, as I mentioned at the beginning of our episode, a self-directed IRA at a Roth, at a 401k, I different things. And generally speaking, to your point earlier, Theo, if you have a 401k, it's usually tied to your current employer. So if you're still actively working for that employer, it's probably not going to be a self-directed 401k. You're going to have to actually end your work relationship with the employer, now have like a rollover IRA where you're no longer actively working there. Then you can switch that into a self-directed account. Usually you can't, not in all cases, but usually you can't if you're currently employed there. What your friend did by taking a loan against it is not really investing inside the IRA. They just gave him a loan based off the balance that's inside his 401k as collateral. So when you take a loan against something, yeah, you can do whatever you want with that money. That doesn't fall under these rules that we're talking about. So the reason, I want to talk a little bit about some pros and cons additionally that I see here. The reason that I liquidated my self-directeds and my 401ks and my Roths early on before I had tremendous amounts of money in there over time is that really the way the structure set up is you're not wanting to pull the money out before 59 and a half. That's just the age that the IRS has stated that if you're pulling your funds out before then, that there could be a penalty. Right now, I think it's like a 10% early withdrawal penalty. That was one thing for many of you listening or those who know me, I live on cash flow. So I don't want to park money into something I can't touch till I'm 60 because I can't touch it. Then I don't have my cash flow. I just lost that ability to do that. And that's my whole message to the world is helping folks with financial independence, et cetera. So that didn't make sense for me. Number two, something to think about is right now in 2021, we are at historically low income tax brackets. And you can go to taxfoundation.org on the upper left of the website. You can click on tax brackets and look at the historics. Get this. This just blows my mind. Back in 1963, we had the highest marginal rate tax bracket at 91%. So you just think about that. People making over 200,000 a year in 1963 were paying 91% in tax. So we have just drifted down and down and down and down and down to today. Our top brackets are 37% or something like that. They could be going up with the new administration. We don't know. But still, hey, I'll pay 37 over 91 any day. So the idea here is, to your point earlier, Theo, if I have a traditional self-directed IRA, I'm getting a tax deduction today for funding it. So say I go put $5,000 in it. 
I'm getting to basically deduct 5,000 against my income today and save whatever bracket I'm in, which is historically low, whether I'm in 20, 25, 30, 37 at the top. And then taking a chance that when I'm 60 and I start pulling the money out, that tax brackets are equal or lower at that point. But realistically, could they be higher again? What if they were 91% again? So I'm getting a little deduction today and I'm going to pay maybe theoretically twice the tax in the future. And we don't know this stuff. I'm not here to predict the future. I'm just saying, what if that scenario were to unfold? The likelihood is kind of like saying interest rates are really low today. So when I'm 60, I think they'll be the same. Well, probably not. <laughs> the odds are they'll probably be higher at that point. So something to think about. Those were the reasons why I decided for me personally, it wasn't a good fit, but that's not to bash these IRAs by any means. They do allow you to invest in private real estate and these real estate private placements, which I'm huge on and I invest a lot in. And that's a great thing if you're not a fan of the volatility of the stock market, or you're just looking for diversification, or you're already in retirement and you're looking for ways to generate passive income, maybe apartment yields make a lot more sense than putting your money in bonds or something like that, just for example purposes. What else? Diversification. And then there's also the QRP plan. This conversation could go way more in depth. We're not the professionals here, but to your point about the UBTI tax, unrelated business income tax, solo 401ks, QRP plans, there's different versions out there that could perhaps potentially avoid that type of tax. But again, we're not here to tell you what to do or how that works. It's beyond my scope. I'm just letting you know, talk to the professionals and figure this stuff out for yourself. And then we talked a little bit about Roth IRAs and those perhaps can have different types of advantages with the tax-free compounding, tax-free withdrawals one day. But there's income phase outs. If you're a very high income earner, you may not even be able to open a Roth or to fund it rather. So that's why everyone's different and you need to consult on, on things like that. So with that said, that's a whole jumble mess of my thoughts and a couple of stories and a couple of examples and what this stuff is. So as Theo pointed out, we do have a blog that was written in much more detail and clarity. <laughs> so click on that blog, get some more information, reach out to the professionals on it. But I think that's all I got on the topic. Well, thank you for sharing your explanation as to why you liquidated. And like a lot of things that we talk about on this show, should you use your IRA to invest in real estate? Well, it depends. There's no yeah. absolute yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. It really kind of just depends on where you're currently at. So if you don't have an IRA at all, then ask yourself, is it better for me to have one to start investing my money into that? Or is it better for me to maybe use that capital for something else? Or if I'm 59 and a quarter years old, and I've got $3 million in there. Is it worth liquidating all that when you're going to be able to start pulling capital out in a couple of months? Or should you just keep the self-directed IRA and do nothing or use it to invest in real estate? So it kind of all depends on where you're at, what your ultimate goals are, and understanding how it works, I think is important to help make that decision. So as Travis mentioned, we're not telling you that you should or shouldn't do anything. We're just trying to give you some information on the strategy, how people have used it in the past, and then direct you to the experts, like the individual who wrote the blog post or your own CPA. So Travis, anything else you want to mention before we close out? Yeah, that was a great point. I just want to add one thing to what you just said. And a lot of folks that I come across in investor relations capacity that I'm speaking with that are using self-directeds fit 
a similar bill to what you described. They have been contributing to these types of accounts for many, many years, sometimes many, many decades. They have perhaps a few million dollars in there. And at this point, it's like, would that make financial sense to take an early withdrawal penalty when you have that much at stake? You're going to have to decide that for yourself. But I was fortunate enough to make my decision early on (laughs) before I had millions of dollars at stake. So my little 10% penalty really didn't amount to that much. And it was more important for me to have that long-term flexibility over my investing. But yeah, I think I would feel a lot different if I was 50 years old with $3 million in an IRA. I doubt I would go pull $3 million out myself and take that kind of tax hit at that time. But yeah, there's strategies, there's things you can do. We're not here to tell you what to do, but great points, Theo. That's all I got. Perfect. So the blog post on our website is how to invest in real estate with a self-directed IRA for more information on the topic we discussed today. And then to close out, if you want us to answer a question that you have either on this show or on the 60 second question segment that Travis and I do, we post it on social media and YouTube. You can email me, Theo at JoeFairless.com that question, and then we will add it to our list of questions to answer. So Travis, as always, thank you for joining us today. Best ever listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template.